you notice at the beginning there of Romans chapter 15, verse 14, the beginning of the verse, the verse we're looking at, let's read that verse, Paul's confidence, Paul has confidence in these believers in Rome, and I think that's interesting. Let's read that verse. For I myself am satisfied about you, the English Standard Version has it, my brothers, that, you're, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Paul has confidence in these Roman Christians, and interestingly, he's never met them. We heard that at the end of the chapter as, as our deacon was reading, that he hopes to go to them, he hopes finally to meet them and spend time with them uh, en route from Jerusalem to Spain to continue to preach the gospel and places that had not heard the gospel. That was his plan. But Paul had confidence in these Roman Christians. Or maybe it's a better thing to say, a little more accurate. Paul had confidence in God's work in those Christians. Not in the Christians themselves, not in their own abilities, and not in their own natural character or things like this. Certainly not by nature that these Roman believers were full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to admonish one another but rather as a fruit of the Spirit in the lives of these believers. I want you to think for just a moment about someone that you have confidence in. Someone that you know, that you feel I can trust this person, I'm confident that this person won't lie to me, won't deceive me, will be there for me, and and we have that kind of relationship. Think of someone in your life that you have confidence in. Why do you have that confidence? On what basis? Do you have that kind of confidence in that person? While you think about that, think about this. Think about someone you have very little confidence in, or in fact you do not have confidence in. You don't trust, you think that. I can't take them at their word. I don't know if they're going to follow through. I don't know if they're going to do what they said they're going to do. Think about someone you have false confidence, or maybe in the past you've had false confidence in. You thought they were trustworthy. You thought they were uh, someone you could rest in and trust, but it turns out that they... Or not. As we think about Paul's confidence in the Roman Christians, I don't want us to fall into delusions, humanistic type of delusions, that well, humans are trustworthy. Right? They're, they're just good people. Hey, you know, this is the salt of the earth, right? Good folks out there. And anyway, that kind of talk, you're familiar with it. Uh, that folks are just good. And it's not that, that folks are sinning full force all the time, everywhere, with everything they're doing. Don't get me wrong, right? Our hearts are wicked, and that works its way out into all of our actions. Uh, and certainly those that works for that works well in Christians, as well as non-Christians. But we might say certain people are just, by nature, you get out some confidence in them. They seem like they're upright and honest, and they wouldn't lie to you, they wouldn't stab you in the back. But the truth of it is, in our hearts, is that kind of infidelity, that kind of unfaithfulness, that kind of selfishness, that kind of sin that makes us the kind of people that maybe people shouldn't be confident in, in our nature, in our own character. So we must look outside of ourselves. And if God's given us natural gifts, of certain you know, virtues, praise the Lord, it's His. But we look for these redemptive virtues. We want the Spirit of God to be at work in all of us, each of us, bearing the fruit of God in our lives The fruit of the Spirit is, Christians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh 
with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. That's a nice passage there from the end of Galatians, talking about the fruit of the Spirit and how that's worked and it's God's gift to us, and that we're to press into it. Christians, we're to press into that fruit, especially among one another, which is really what we're doing in our text this morning. I'll read it again to you. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So let's begin with this little list, and I, maybe just before we begin with the little list of those, those three things, goodness, knowledge, and the ability to counsel or ability to admonish. Notice Paul, with these distant brothers, not just assuming the best of them, but really resting in the work of God in them, that he can see he's satisfied, he's confident that these things are in them. But do, notice also that he calls them my brothers. You're my brothers over there. You believers in Rome, whom I've never met, whom I, whom I hope to meet, and I hope to exchange spiritual gifts with when I get there. Have you sharpen me, and I can sharpen you. We read that at the beginning of the, the epistle. He doesn't know them, but he loves them. He calls them family. You're my brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your siblings, your family. You Romans way out there. Now, I don't know if you found this before in your own life, if you're traveling or out of town or somewhere else, just somewhere apart from your normal environs, although it can occur in normal environs as well. And you run into a Christian, you, you find out they're a Christian, and you have a bond. There's something there that's glorious, that we share Christ together, and the differences don't seem to matter, right? Skin color, background, where you're from, that kind of stuff just doesn't seem to matter. It kind of goes away, and this is a brother or sister in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's important for us. That's important for us to extend not only to one another here, but to extend it far beyond as we meet Christians and as we engage uh, others in the faith out there that we love them and we take them as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, even as Paul instructs us here by his own example. But of these brothers and sisters in Rome, he says they are full of goodness. He says you yourselves are full of goodness. Well, Christian... What does goodness mean? We talk about goodness, or when Paul brings up goodness here, what does he have in mind? Maybe we can just kind of take a step back and think, well, what is goodness anyway? What do we, what do we mean when we say someone's a good person or so on? We have common ways of using this word. Just, let me offer a few of them that maybe you can see how they vary or they, they, they're different one from another just a little bit. You might say, hey, uh, baby, thanks. That was a good meal. That was, that was a good dinner. Um, not quite the same thing as a good man. You might, uh, you might go out and um, have a good time. Come back on a Friday night and say, yeah, we had a great time. We had a good time. You might come back home after you had that good time to your dog and say, yeah, it's a good dog. Good dog. This dog does what it's supposed to do and all these sorts of things. Or, I think most importantly here, a good man, a good person. So if we talk about a good meal, we mean something satisfying and it was delicious and we appreciated it and it was pleasing. Okay, those things together, I think, often are what we mean by good. Uh, we appreciate it, we, we see value in it, we enjoy it, it's pleasurable to us. Those things are, I think, right in the center of what we mean generally when we use the word good. Same thing goes for a good time. It was a good time out there Friday night. We had a, we had a blast. We, the, the time was pleasing, the fellowship was pleasing, what we did was enjoyable. And the same thing for a good dog. 
This dog does what it's supposed to do, stays out of the way, uh, doesn't drink out of the toilet, what have you. He said, that's a good dog. That's a good dog. By which we mean it kind of does what it's supposed to do. It's proper, and we enjoy it. It's, it's a pleasurable thing to us. But what do we mean when we say a man is good? What do we mean when we say a woman is good? That's a good person. What do we mean by that? And that meaning is different. I think it still involves that kind of pleasing, uh, proper kind of apps, you know, the aspects that the other uses of the word good did. But it means something more on a moral level, doesn't it? That there's something about that person that is morally pleasing. There's something that they're a, they're a, they're a person that we could enjoy being around because they're a valuable, giving, kind, generous, some of those sorts of, of things. That's the kind of person that they are. And the word that Paul uses here for goodness is... is it has that meaning. Uh, it's certainly kind of in the base means the proper or fitting, pleasing, but really is more of a moral reality. Uh, it indicates more of a moral kindness. So when Paul says, hey, you Roman Christians, you're full of goodness, what he means to tell them is they're full of kindness, they're full of generosity, they're full of interest in the welfare of other people. Maybe the apex of what this word means. You're, you're interested in the welfare of others. That's a good person. That's a good man uh, in this sense. And, of course, we can step aside and say, there is none good. No, not one. Right? We know that in that sense, before God, there is no goodness in men. But among each other, we can recognize goodness on a human level and not say, well, that's merit before God, knowing that it's not. Okay, Understanding the difference between goodness before God and His holiness and the goodness as we enjoy it among each other, among different people. So when, the, when Paul calls the Romans, he says they're full of goodness, he's telling them that they're full of generosity and kindness toward other people, considering other people's welfare rather than just their own. And of course, if that's true of the Roman Christians, it certainly ought to be true of us as well. It ought to be true of all Christians. And I think that's obvious because Paul's saying it about them. He's confident about them in it, but he doesn't even know them. He hasn't been there to experience their kindness. He might have heard words. He might have heard reports, etc. Maybe he just simply knows the, the way that the Holy Spirit conforms us to the image of Christ as Christians is the same. Right? It's the same avenue. It's, it's, it's the fruit of the Spirit. And that he makes us good. That is to say the Holy Spirit is working in us as we rest in Christ and trust him and walk in him. The Spirit conforms us to the image of Christ, making us good, which is to say full of kindness and generosity and concern for the welfare of other people. That should be the case for us, should be the case for all Christians, because, listen, it is the case for God. Think about the goodness of God in the sense we were just talking about, it, that generosity and kindness toward the welfare of others. Who is good, like Jesus asked the rich young ruler, but God alone? God is the one who is gracious and kind, not only just to his creatures, but to his creatures that are in rebellion against him. It is his very goodness that redeems them out of that. His generosity, his kindness, his care for the welfare of us. And of course we know that love, God's love in particular, gives Love gives, and love, eternal love, gave Jesus the Christ of God. There's a gift to the world. Right? There's generosity and kindness to the world. Here's the welfare of the world, Jesus the Christ of God. 
And if that's the case for the world, how much more, and especially to those of faith, to those who look to him and see in him, he is the very goodness of God for us. He is the kindness and generosity of God for us. He is our Redeemer. He is our Savior. And that manifests, Christian, the deep and abiding and eternal goodness, kindness, generosity of God. It's all around us, all through us, but it's preeminently in Jesus, the Christ of God. We see the goodness of God manifest in Christ Jesus. If we see that goodness there, Christian, we're called to imitate that. We are Christians. We're a little Christ. We're here to imitate the one who has redeemed us. And that maybe sounds like this, going back to Romans chapter 12. Let love be genuine. Christian, this is among ourselves. This is the generosity, the kindness, the goodness that we are to manifest one to another. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Do not love, I'm sorry, love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, but be ardent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. We're to love one another. We're to outdo each other in loving and serving one another. And even try to extend that to strangers. It starts here as God shows us his love and goodness in Christ Jesus. And then he pours that into us and sends us out to spill it out on other people. That goodness of God given to us in Christ Jesus. So Paul says they're full of goodness. And again, notice the kind of the filling over the top kind of language here. It's not like, yeah, there's a sprinkling little dab of goodness for you here. And a little dab of knowledge for you over there. It's like, no, you're full of this goodness and you're filled with this knowledge. So let's think about knowledge just for a moment as well. What does knowledge mean? I think commonly as we use, use the term knowledge, we simply mean information or possession of information that can be retrieved. Right? Say someone's knowledgeable or they have, you know, they have an enormous amount of knowledge. What you mean, typically, is they got a bunch of information packed in that head of theirs and they're able to generally to sort it out and retrieve it and bring it out when they need it. I'd like to put as Exhibit A, uh, my professor at Western Reformed Seminary, I haven't seen him for a while, although I did see him just recently, um, Dennis Jowers. I don't know if any of you have met Dennis Jowers. He's an awkward feller. Um, but I don't think I've ever met anyone who has more information in their head immediately accessible. It's just tremendous and amazing. It's like, how can he do that? Those, those gifts are amazing, and we can think about that, just information that we can have stored and have access to. But I think when we're, the Scripture talks about knowledge, it talks about something more fulsome, more impressive than just a collection of information in one's head that's accessible and able to be retrieved and given away. In fact, oftentimes, when our, our common usage, we may contrast knowledge on the one hand, information about stuff and what's, what's known that way, with, on the other hand, wisdom. I remember a Sunday school teacher in my youth giving me the definition, or us the definition, that, well, wisdom is just simply knowing about stuff, and, I'm sorry, knowledge is just knowing about stuff. Wisdom is knowing what you should do with that stuff. Uh, you can have the knowledge to build something that would tear you apart and kill everything. That's knowledge, but wisdom would tell you not to do that. Okay, so the kind of living wisdom, good enough. I think, however, in the scripture, they're put together. The knowledge of God, 
not just knowledge generally, or I know about a rock, or I know about a, a lectern, or I know about architecture. Of course, those things would fall into place too, but particularly because all knowledge is really knowledge of God. There is really no knowledge other than knowledge of God and of ourselves. John Calvin starts his institutes that very way. All knowledge is knowledge of God, because what else is there to know? All things come from him, and he reveals himself in his creation. So there's that knowledge, and of ourselves, as he's made us in his image. We're image bearers of God as we know ourselves, we also know God. So knowledge and godliness are tied together, and knowledge and wisdom are tied together as well. Listen to this, these kind of two famous lines, and you might even not know which one's which, or get them mixed up from Proverbs because they're similar. But listen to them, they're not the same. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge, to know, to understand, to have information and all that. But that is contrasted with fools who despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise I mean, the beginning of knowledge and fools despise the wisdom. You can see knowledge and wisdom are pulled together there. And the same thing here from Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Okay, again, we have wisdom. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. And then, of course, knowledge tied in. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So knowledge and wisdom are tied together in the Scripture, most certainly. And, and, and knowledge is more expansive than just mere information we may have in our heads. So it certainly includes that. As well. Flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll see maybe the source of this knowledge and this wisdom. 2 Timothy chapter 3, really one of the more famous passages in the Bible about the Bible. Start reading in verse 13. Notice the living reality, by the way, the living reality not only in Paul's life, but in Timothy's life of the Scriptures. And it's the scriptures that are central here, both to himself, his mother, his grandmother, the generations are passing along the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God, by way of the scriptures. Let's read starting at verse 13. I'll start reading at verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let's put that one down. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood, Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scriptures don't save us. Christ saves us. He's the living word. He's the one that saves us. But he makes us aware. He gives us knowledge of that salvation. The living wisdom that he has comes to us by ministry of the scriptures. By ministry of the writings, the holy writings, he goes on to say, For scripture is, all scripture is breathed out by God, exhaled by God. It's his breath. It's his word to us. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul says of the Romans that not only are they full of goodness, but they're also filled with knowledge. Christian, where do you think that knowledge came from? 
What's the source of that knowledge in this Roman congregation? Once again, that Paul didn't know, hadn't met, had heard stories about in, in reports. But he says, I know, I'm confident that you're full, not only of goodness, but also filled with knowledge. Well, of course, the source of the goodness and the source of the knowledge and the source of the ability to counsel all come from the, the Spirit of God. God, the Holy Spirit, at work giving gifts among the, the children, among the people of, of God. So this is a, 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 an issue of salvation, an issue of gifts and grace within salvation, that these Roman Christians should have goodness, but also have knowledge, that they should know God. And of course, that's by the Holy Spirit, through the Scripture. Through, also through the preaching of the minister. Right? Paul came and he ministered, you know, where he ever went, he hadn't gone to Rome yet, but he came and he ministered. He preached the Word of God. He heralded, he declared Christ from the Scriptures. And of course, the Scriptures they had were the Old Testament. That's what they were working with. So these Scriptures, these Holy Scriptures that Timothy had, and as we read later, his mother had, and his grandmother had, this, this faith that's run through the generations, is brought to them by the Holy Spirit through Holy Scripture. So, Christian, how important is the Scripture in your life? Is that a book you pick up every day and say, See, Lord, I need, you. I need what you have. I'm weak. I need God. And here's how you give. By the Holy Spirit speaking in Scripture. Not only in your individual lives, but as a family, as a body, coming together week by week to worship the Lord. And, of course, you realize that the listening to the preaching of the Gospel is every bit as much worship as the lifting of hands to sing praises to God. I think sometimes uh, a lot of Christians use the, the word worship and what they mean is singing, praise. And that's good, that is worship. But so is praying as the people of God worship. All the elements of worship are worship. We're worshiping the Lord together in all of these different ways, including the singing and the hearing of the Scripture read, the hearing of the Scripture preached. God ministers Christ to us by these means, particularly the Holy Scriptures in the reading and preaching of them. And as we look to the Scripture, we look at Colossians 2, for instance, and realize that all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now think about that, because there are a lot of treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, many of you know this, the, the, the amount of knowledge you have about a particular field or whatever else. There's amazing amounts of knowledge, and it's exquisite. All treasures of wisdom and knowledge are where they're found in Christ Jesus. He is the Logos of God, the one who became man. All treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ Jesus. He ministers that Christian to you, to us, by his word, by the scriptures. And we can say that for us, and we can say it for the Roman Christians as well. That we are full of goodness because of God to us, his grace to us in Christ Jesus, looking at him. We're also full of knowledge because he's given us the scriptures and his Holy Spirit that we should understand and read them and be encouraged by them day by day and certainly week by week. So we have goodness and we have knowledge. Then those things kind of come together and move toward this counseling thing. Right, so the, the ability to counsel one another or the capacity to admonish one another, and as we have it here in the uh, English Standard Version, you're able to instruct one another. There's a famous book published in 1973 uh, by a fellow named Jay Adams called Competent to Counsel. 
And it was a, a, after his Christian counselor's manual, which he published the year before, the beginning of this great publishing flurry uh, around Jay Adams for what we call Nuthetic Counseling, um, which is to say biblical counseling tied in with admonishment, uh, tied in with hope in the Holy Spirit of repentance from sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as being the major components of counseling, as opposed to other notions of counseling and uh, digging back into whatever something your mom said to you when you were three or the dog bit you when you were whatever. Anyway, I make fun of all that because it's worth making fun of. Um, and in, in light of that, or in, in contrast to that, we say, well, counseling is needed. Instruction and conversation is needed one with another as Christians. And Paul says here, you're, you're competent to do that, Christian. Because of that goodness that God's poured into you and the knowledge that he's given you, you're competent to counsel one another. You're able to admonish one another in the Christian life. So do notice that that goodness and that knowledge come together in this counseling. Right? So there's a goodness basis. Remember what that goodness is, is really kindness and generosity, love for one another, a desire for the welfare of somebody else. And so, Christian, as we kind of flesh this out a little bit, as you have conversation with other Christians, if you have conversation with Christian friends, that this is going on anyway. We're always kind of living and admonishing one another as we, as, we, as we talk, as we have conversations. But we can do it purposefully even better. Right? If we purpose to love one another, if we purpose to counsel one another and admonish one another according to the kindness of God, the goodness and generosity, and according to the knowledge of the Scriptures, coming together to help one another. Christian, that's, that's the Christian life. That's what it is to rub elbows with your fellow believers, is to have that kind of love together where you can admonish and counsel one another as Christians. And that's not just, as we have maybe in Second Timothy, the man of God. Right? We know the man of God there is the servant, is the preacher, is the, the, the one that Paul's gone Timothy. Right? But all the Christians, in that sense, are, we're all in the same boat. Right? We're all, we've all been given these gifts by the Holy Spirit of goodness and of knowledge and of the ability to love one another by counseling, by admonishing, and by talking. The goodness aspect of the counseling between Christians is that we are loving one another. Right? Sometimes we'll give counsel, we'll give advice to somebody, and it really is kind of self-serving. I'm advising you to do something because I want you to do that and I want it done. Okay, that happens sometimes. But the goodness involved in this is I, I'm counseling you to do something because it's for your good. It's so you'd be built up in the Lord Jesus Christ. But so you would mature and we all can mature together. right? There's, a, there's a, a, an angle toward loving the other person you're counseling with uh, that builds them up in the goodness of God, not in something else. And similarly with the knowledge the knowledge of God as he gives it to us is, who are we? What are we doing in this world? What's our place here? What's our call here? Now, where do you look for those kind of answers? The secular psychology? You go read Jordan Peterson and have him tell you all about like what life's about? Well, he's wise and he has some angles into it, but he doesn't know Christ. He doesn't know the scriptures. He teaches them, but he doesn't know the scriptures. So are we going to look to the world for this kind of insight and knowledge when we're counseling one another? Or are we going to go to one another with Scripture in hand and say, this is what God says. The goodness of God manifests in what he says here. And brother, I don't know you're shooting it straight. I got concerns. Or what did, you know, can you help me? It's not always going to the person to admonish, though often it is. Sometimes it's seeking the help from other people. And it takes humility on all sides. 
Right? There's a certain humility built into helping somebody, admonishing them, as we're talking about, or using your words to confront them about something in their lives, whether it's sin or a lack of wisdom or, or something else. Right? Just this admonishment and discussion. It takes humility to do that. Why is that? Because you're no stinking better than they are. That's why. You're not on a pedestal looking down at somebody else saying, sorry for you down there, bucko. It's there but for the grace of God go I. And don't you know that? Don't you know it? Can't you tell that you're just as wicked of a sinner as anyone you've ever counseled? Or are you deluded in that? Thinking somehow you're just a little bit more righteous. It's easy to put on suit and be a pastor and have everyone think you're a little more righteous. But they're all, every one of them, wrong. Just like your ungodly neighbors look at you and maybe think you're a paragon of Christian virtue. They're wrong too. Now we should pursue being a paragon of Christian virtue. That's what we should want to do, to be sure. But not thinking that we've achieved it. That we've attained. You've attained nothing. Neither have I, except what the Spirit of God has worked in us, that we should will and do for His good pleasure. It's all of grace. Therefore, the word of the day is humility. Not pride. Not thinking much of ourselves. Not vanity. But humility. Because there but for the grace of God go I. I would be just like the worst sinner imaginable if God did not restrain me. Because I know the sin in my own heart. And I hope you have some semblance of knowledge of the sin in your own heart as well. And that by itself, before God and before one another, is enough for humility. But not only do you have to have humility to approach somebody, you have to have some humility to be approached. It's not easy for somebody to come up and say, hey, you know, I got, I got a bone. I got an issue here. Can we talk it out? Can we figure it out? So humility all the way around. We have the goodness of God manifested in the people of God because we love one another. We're kind one to another. We want the benefit, the, uh, the salvation of God in each other's lives. We have the Word of God, the knowledge of God, equipped by the Holy Spirit with the Word to admonish, to give that truth one to another. And therefore, Paul says, you are competent now, for, therefore, to counsel one another. You're able, which is the word, you're able to admonish. And the word admonish and counsel is new to tale. The word, the basic word that we use for newthetic counseling. To counsel, to admonish one another. This is part of the Christian life. And um, as it goes more on that, uh, an education hour. As far as the, this kind of admonishment and help right around in Presbytery for us and so on. Uh, that we, Christian, none of us are in this thing alone. None of us are in this alone. We need each other. We need the goodness of God through each other. We need the knowledge of God through each other. We need the admonition of God, the correction, the counsel of God, Christian, through each other. That's how God's made it. We need each other. There's no, like, isolated Christian just doing the Christian thing by himself. It doesn't work that way. God's made us to need one another and then given us the provisions to meet those needs in one another by the power and grace of the Holy Spirit. So all these things... Full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent counsel one another, are yours, and they're mine, Christian, by grace. God gives these things. And it's in Christ Jesus we're built up in the goodness of Christ. 
and the knowledge of Christ, and the ability to admonish, admonish or counsel one another in the goodness and knowledge of Christ as well. And again, the very basis here for Paul's confidence in Christians that he has ever met is confidence not in them, but in the God who is redeeming them. In the goodness, in the kindness, in the knowledge of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord, who is our redemption. And who has poured out his spirit on the church. And that's why Paul can have the confidence. Because, you know, it's hard to be confident with people. It's hard to be confident even with Christians. Particularly if we're trusting them. But if we're trusting God's work in them, the God of all, of all grace and kindness at work in the Christians around us, that gives us a firmer basis for our confidence in the Christians around us, not in themselves, because we're all sinners. We're all going to fall short. We're all going to let one another down. But we look to the God who lifts us up in Christ Jesus and say, let's love him, and with his grace and power, let's love each other in goodness, in knowledge, and admonishing one another until Christ should come and redeem us fully. May we press forward, Christian, to that goal, the upward call, and amen.